Luke chapter 24, verses 13 to 35. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, What are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, How foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening and the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. This is the word of the Lord. So I've already received some interesting commentary on this shirt that I'm wearing. Uh, uh, maybe some of you like it. Maybe some of you are like, what are you wearing, Jonathan? And so I just thought I would take this moment before the church to publicly explain what my shirt's going, what's, what it's about. Uh, <laughs> I was just in France for two weeks, and we're like, hey, let's get something as kind of a, a way to remember France, and so that's the shirt. So this is a European French-looking shirt. All right, I, I am incredibly stylish uh, up here tonight. <laughs> yeah, Bernie's nodding his head, and Bernie knows good style. All right, let me pray. <laughs> Heavenly Father, thank you for tonight. Thank you for just getting to be back uh, with my church family, getting to be back uh, with your people, with your bride. I pray that tonight we could focus on you through your word, that we could uh, hear from you uh, through your word, uh, and that, um, that you would change our lives, change our hearts. Uh, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. 
Now, I wanted to start by asking if you have ever had an experience where you could not find something or you could not see something, and it turns out that thing was right in front of you. Like, it was there the entire time. Many of you are not in your heads. I just had this experience happen to me on Friday. Uh, I was supposed to uh, give Elijah his bottle, and I knew that it was in the fridge. And so I opened the fridge, I looked in the fridge, and the bottle was gone. I was like, where is this bottle? Like, I, I thought it was going to be here. I knew like Monica wouldn't put it somewhere else uh, besides the fridge. Uh, and eventually I called Monica and I was like, I can't find the bottle. And she's like, well, I put it in the fridge. I don't know what to tell you. And so I went back and I looked again and I still couldn't find it. And then she came home and it took her about three seconds. And she was just like, oh, here it is. And I was like, ah, oh, it was right behind the sippy cup. I think it was actually like as I was looking in this section, it was like sprouting legs and running and hiding behind like the milk jug. Uh, this is the only possible explanation for why I couldn't see it. Uh, but sometimes that happens, right, where we're looking for something and we, it's right in front of us, but we can't find it. Now, in our family, a baby bottle is important, right? It matters to us. But in the grand scheme of things, it's probably not a huge deal. But do we ever do this with bigger deals, with deals that, uh, with things that really matter in life, with things that have eternal consequence? I actually think that we do this with our relationship with God, that sometimes we just can't see him, and that doesn't mean he's not right there. Sometimes we can't sense his presence. Sometimes he seems very silent or absent. Does that mean that he has kind of created a space around you and has exited that space? I don't think so. I think he is there, but sometimes we just have a hard time seeing him. And that could be like a really dark and discouraging and frustrating place to be. We don't want to be at that place. We want to see God. We want to sense Christ's presence. So tonight I'm talking a little bit about what to do when that happens. And, and I'm, I'm drawing this lesson from the scriptures because tonight we're looking at Jesus and his disciples. <laughs> and they encounter Jesus face to face, his followers, and they don't recognize him. And they're like mourning that he is not there that he is gone, that he is absent, and they are confused and frustrated. It doesn't mean that he wasn't there. He is there. In fact, he's there right in front of them. Now, we're talking about two disciples, and I don't mean one of the 12 disciples, but some of his kind of uh, wider crowd of followers. He had a, uh, followers, the 12, he had the 72, he had uh, even more than that. And here we encounter uh, two disciples who are walking along the road. And they're at this very dark place where Jesus has died. And, and like for a moment, just think about that. Like Jesus has died. In their story, he is not alive. He has just gone through this horrible, excruciating death, and it's over. Uh, he's not coming back. Uh, it's a pretty hopeless situation for them. Now it's just kind of like, well, pick up the pieces and move on. And so they're sad. They're depressed. They've made it through the Passover feast in Jerusalem, uh, but obviously it was a, a soured time. It wasn't a time of rejoicing. It was a time of mourning for them. Now, 
they're also a little bit confused because that morning, some of the women that they know who are also followers of Christ went to the tomb and discovered that the body wasn't there. And they actually report that angels said, Jesus is alive. And they're kind of processing this as they make the seven-mile journey back to Emmaus as they walk. And so uh, we're going to kind of read through the passage together as we go through. So you can look down at your Bible, Luke chapter 24, verse 13 through 16. I'm not going to put any verses up on the screen. Just starting in verse 13. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. Now, uh, Emmaus is about seven miles from Jerusalem. Apparently, that's about 10 kilometers. I was just in Europe. Did you guys hear that? Uh, 10 kilometers. Our European GPS pronounced kilometers, kilometers. And I was like, is that the correct way? Have I been saying kilometers wrong this entire time? So maybe someone can clarify that for me uh, later. But they're walking these, uh, these 10 kilometers, these seven miles, and they're talking about the crucifixion. They're talking about, is that the right way to say it? Oh, okay, they're both correct. Okay, she's from Canada, so you can't really trust what she says. Uh, <laughs> they're walking along, and Jesus walks up and begins to walk alongside them. Now, this is actually the first time in the Gospel of Luke when we see Jesus alive after his death. Now, the first 12 verses of Luke chapter 24, we hear that Jesus is alive, but we don't see him. And here, Luke shows the living, breathing Jesus to his readers. And you would think that if, if you were to make up a story about someone's resurrection, there would be like fireworks. It would be like those modern magic shows where at the end they kind of like jump out and there's, there's like uh, fireworks and, and uh, confetti and all sorts of things. But here, what happens? <laughs> Nothing like that. Jesus just goes for a walk. He just begins to walk alongside them. And they, they should have recognized who he was. The Greek actually says that their eyes were kept from recognizing him. In other words, their eyes were restrained. Maybe you've taken a dog for a walk uh, who's like overly exuberant and, and pulls on your, your leash and you're like, come on back. You have to restrain the dog. That's kind of the same idea, that their eyes were almost like bursting like, like we recognize this person, but God himself restrained their eyesight, restrained their recognition so that they wouldn't see who Jesus is, that they wouldn't recognize that Jesus is alive. And that's really interesting. Like, why would God do that? Like, can you, like, in your mind, like, why would God do that? It's because God wants them to recognize Christ Jesus, but he wants them to first recognize Christ Jesus a different way, not with their physical eyes, but with their understanding, with their understanding of something greater, of something different, the word of God, the scriptures, and how the scriptures point to Jesus. And so we're going to get to that in a moment, but I want to read verse 17 and 18, we'll work through 21. 
He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? Now, Luke has given us the name Cleopas because he's, he's kind of, uh, he's, he's given a citation. He's giving his sources. It's like, this is someone who I heard it from. It's a it's an eyewitness report. Like you can talk to Cleopas if you want to check out this conversation. And it just rings true, doesn't it? It doesn't ring like it's made up because here we see them kind of like questioning the risen Lord. Like, are you stupid? Like, why don't you know that like all these things happened? If they knew that that was Jesus, they certainly would not treat him like that. Now, verse 19 through 21 says this. What things, he asked. Well, about Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word. He was a prophet. I'm going to come back to that. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. Now, they called Jesus a prophet. Now, Jesus had just uh, ridden his donkey into uh, Jerusalem, kind of in this boldly, publicly uh, profession that he is actually something more significant than the prophets. He's a Messiah. He's the Messiah. He's the Christ. He's the, he's the, the coming liberator of his people. He's the redeemer. And we even see them kind of talking about the one who was going to redeem Israel. We thought he was the Messiah, but he must be a prophet because he's dead. And that's what happens to many of the prophets in the Old Testament. They are uh, killed. So they say, well, he's, he must not be the Messiah. He must only be a prophet because he is dead. And see, sometimes when things don't turn out how we expect, or when we go through frustrating times or dark times, or God doesn't do what we want, it's, it's, it's a temptation to say, well, maybe Jesus isn't who I thought he was, or maybe God isn't powerful enough. To kind of question the very goodness and character of God. Maybe you've done that. Maybe I've done that. As we, as we think about our lives and say, well, if I'm going through this, then God must not be good. Or if God would allow that thing to happen, then God must not be alive. He must not be real. And that's kind of the same thing that they're doing in this situation. They're saying, well, if Jesus is dead, he must not be the Messiah. He must be just a prophet. And so we need to be reminded to, to, to truly trust in Jesus and his power and to trust in God no matter our circumstances, no matter if things are going well or not so well. Just like our song that we just sang, Blessed Be Your Name, in times of plenty but also in times of want. Now verses 22 through uh, 24 uh, tell us uh, a little bit more. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. 
Now, in Israel at this time, uh, some of the rabbis, the Jewish rabbis, they disagreed over whether or not women could testify in court. So today, that would be ridiculous to us. Of course, it doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman. You can testify in court. You, in court, you can say what's true. But in, in that culture and in that time, women's testimony was often not as uh, considered as good as a man's. It was considered unreliable. So if you're going to make up a story about the resurrection, if you're going to say that someone rose from the dead, this is not a very smart way to make up that story. <laughs> this is a pretty uh, bad way to do it. And that tells us that this story is actually not made up because they're just giving the facts. They're just giving what actually happened, what is actually true. So this is what we call like a proof that the scriptures are real. Now, uh, in, in their time, that was an issue. And of course, Cleopas and uh, his traveling companion, they would have wrestled with this. They would have struggled with this. And we actually see that. They say, well, yeah, the women went to the tomb and they saw a vision of angels uh, but our companions, they went to the tomb and they didn't find anything. They didn't see Jesus. So even they don't really believe the women. They, they believe their companions, their friends, perhaps the other disciples instead of them. Now, their memories are selective in this moment because if we read ahead to verse 34, they're also going to say, well, Jesus did appear to Simon Peter. <laughs> so right now, as they're talking to Jesus, as they're walking along the road, they are choosing to highlight kind of what lines up with their perspective and, and ignore uh, perhaps another perspective, that from Peter, that he actually encountered the risen Lord. Now, we aren't told anywhere else in the Gospels about this account, all we know is that Jesus appeared to Peter sometime that morning. But this is the only hint of it. I don't know why that's not recorded further. But I think there's a lesson for us in this. That when we are discouraged, when we are down, or, or we're going through a, a tough time, we've lost a job, or um, uh, we've lost a loved one, or, or, or whatever it is, uh, sad or depressed, it's easy to have selective memories and to remember the things that, that line up with how we view life in that moment. Of course, God is far away. God's not done anything good for me. And then you forget all the times that God has been good over the course of years. And he's been faithful over and over and over again. And that's what Satan wants. Satan wants us to forget that's why there's this call to remember all throughout the scripture. Remember God's goodness. Remember God's law. Remember to fear God. Remember God's ways. And we need to, to kind of confess that selective memory and say, wow, God, you really have been good to me. Help me to focus on those things, Lord. Uh, recall those things to mind so that I'm not just focusing on the, the things that cause doubt in me, but also those things that cause faith in me, that I'm, that, I'm, uh, that I'm not having that selective memory. Because if God has been good year after year after year, he's not going to stop now. <laughs> he's not going to change his way. Now, uh, as we look at the, the passage, it's now Jesus' time to uh, answer them, right? And he actually begins to open their eyes to him 
but not their physical eyes yet. He instead opens their spiritual eyes. He opens the eyes of their heart and of their mind first. And he does this by pointing to the scriptures. Now, if Terry were here, he would call it the Hebrew scriptures because he doesn't like the Old Testament terminology. We're talking about the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures. Uh, Jesus points to to them. Luke chapter 22, verses 25 through 26. He said to them, How foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what what he said in all the scriptures concerning himself. So what does Jesus do? (laughs) He scolds them. He, He scolds them about not having hope and not, ha- not understanding the scriptures and not really getting who the Messiah was called to be. See, they thought, pretty much everyone thought this, that the Messiah was going to be a political liberator. That the, the Messiah was going to come along and, and cast out the Romans and, and set up his earthly kingdom and everything would be great and the, kind of the Jewish people would take over the world and, and it would be awesome. But they were completely wrong about that. That, that is, the, the long-term plan is that Christ will rule over the world. But in this first coming, in this first coming of Christ Jesus, of the, the Redeemer, he's, he's come to take care of a different issue. He's come to take care of sin, and sin is our brokenness and uh, disobedience before God. And he does this not by military might, but by personal suffering, by the way of the cross, by going as a sacrifice. We heard about that these last couple of weeks as Jesus went to the cross to pay the penalty for our sins if we repent of our sins and put our faith in Christ Jesus. Maybe tonight is the first night you've really heard that, that that if you are willing to say, I'm broken, I'm, I'm sinful, and put your faith and trust in Christ, he forgives you. And it's because... He came to do just that, to set us free from our sins. And, and this, uh, this idea of a suffering Messiah is a confusing concept to the Jewish people because the Old Testament, it, it talks a few places about the Messiah, but it doesn't really spell out that the Messiah is going to have to suffer. Now, if you look at the Old Testament, if you look at these passages, you can look to Passages like Psalm 22. I'm not going to read it tonight, but I actually preached a sermon on Psalm 22. And there it does talk about kind of a kingly figure who suffers. And then if you turn over to Isaiah chapter 53, that's all about the suffering servant. That's a very famous passage about, uh, about the lamb who will be uh, crushed and, and all these things. But they're, they're not exactly saying, well, the, this is the Messiah, They just kind of are saying this is a chosen person by God. So there's some confusion there. I think it's implied that the Messiah will suffer. But remember, I'm looking at it from this angle, (laughs) from this side of the cross. Things are much clearer from this side of the cross. And so uh, we can't really judge them too much. But it is implied throughout the scriptures. Now, as we kind of think back to this idea of when we can't see Jesus when we can't see and sense God's presence, I think there's a little um, application in here for us because if the Messiah is going to suffer and he's the one we follow, then we're also going to suffer. As believers and as Christians, God does not promise us a pain-free life. 
He doesn't promise us that we will always feel his presence. And sometimes we, we think that, oh, to be a good Christian, I have to like always be in it, like spiritually, I'm on top of the world. Well, no. <laughs> Why would there be psalms about a, a valley of the shadow of death then? Like, there's, there's mountain peaks and there's valley lows in our walk with God. It's actually pretty normal to go through times of despair and not sensing God's presence. We don't want to stay there because we do have the hope of Christ Jesus, but there will be periods that we walk through, and that's normal uh, because we live in a fallen and broken world. Now, when we're in those places, when we're in those dark spots, what do we do? Well, one of the ways we draw near to Christ, draw near to God, draw near through the Holy Spirit, is by meditating on and reading the Scriptures, reading the Bible, reading those Hebrew Scriptures, also reading the New Testament. Verse 27 again, it says, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the Scriptures concerning himself. In other words, before he ever reveals himself, before he ever says, Ha, it's me, he says, You can see me. You can see me in my word. You can see me in these pages. You don't have to see me with your eyes. You can see me with your heart through God's word. And he kind of does like this bird's eye overview of the Old Testament. He says, it's all pointing towards me. Now, that doesn't mean that every single word somehow has a, a hidden meaning about Christ Jesus. But it does mean like the overall story the, the stories, the, the prophecies, like, they're telling us something. They're telling us about our need for a Savior. They're telling us about our sins and that we're broken and that we need a Savior and that a Savior is coming and that Savior can only be provided by God and God's plan is perfect. And in some passages, in some stories, it does spell out a coming Savior it, or it prefigures a coming Savior. The opening chapters of Genesis, what happens in them? Well, there's the fall, right? But then there's this prophecy that a descendant of Eve, the seed of Eve, will come and defeat the serpent. Who's the serpent? But Satan. How about Noah's ark? Does that tell us about the Savior? Well, it does tell us about God's judgment against sin and that we need deliverance. <laughs> that we need someone to rescue us. In that case, it's Noah who builds the ark. But in our case, it's Christ who hangs on the cross. How about Abraham? Well, Abraham shows us the kind of faith that we need to have in God and in his promises, that Abraham was counted righteous through faith. It's nothing that we can do. How about Abraham's son, Isaac? Did you know that Abraham's son, Isaac, he carries firewood, a tree, up a mountain so that he can be a sacrifice? Does that remind you of anyone else? Christ Jesus carrying his cross up a mountain to become our sacrifice, to pay the penalty for our sins? How about Joseph? Joseph was betrayed by his brothers, his 11 brothers. Jesus was betrayed by his disciples. Uh, how about Moses? At Moses' birth, he was almost killed by an evil king. At Jesus' birth, he was also almost killed by an evil king. How about Leviticus? 
Well, the whole sacrificial system points to our need for a sacrifice. And that idea that there's like sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice shows that those sacrifices, sheep and goats and cows and turtle doves, they're not enough. We need that coming ultimate sacrifice, that perfect sacrifice, Christ Jesus. How about Samson? Could Samson prefigure Christ somehow? Did Jesus have giant biceps? (laughs) Samson gave his life to rescue his people. Jesus gave his life to rescue us. How about King David? He was a good king, but he was an imperfect king. And he foreshadows, he points the the way that there one day is going to be a coming perfect king, Christ Jesus. And the list goes on and on and on about all the ways the scriptures point to Christ Jesus. He is the fulfillment of it all. So what's the application? When you can't see Jesus, look to the scriptures. When you can't see Jesus, look to the scriptures. When you can't see him, look to the scriptures. Sometimes I get a bit frustrated. Uh, You know, we all have people in our life that talk about hearing God, right? Hearing God's voice. And I can get a bit frustrated when I hear about someone else who is hearing God's voice. And God is speaking to them. I'm like, well, what does that mean? You know, is God speaking to me? I'm getting some strong impressions. I feel like he's speaking to me. But at the end of the day, I don't particularly hear an audible voice. Or if that does happen, it's a rare thing. Well, God does speak. In fact, he has spoken. <laughs> he has spoken a lot. And he, he's an equal opportunity speaker. And then he provides it to all of us. So if you actually want to hear God speak, you have to open up the scriptures. And of course, what is he speaking about? He's speaking about his son. He's speaking about our need for forgiveness and redemption. But I think this should be an encouragement. If you're someone who says, I don't ever hear from God like when I pray, Well, you can hear from God. You can hear from God through cracking open your Bible, through reading it. And I think one of the things that I do is I meditate on Scripture and I pray and I I ask the Holy Spirit to help me uh, understand God's Word and and apply it to my life in the way that God wants me to apply it. And then God does that. That's God speaking. God speaks through His Word. God speaks through His Holy Spirit and and prayer. But these things work together. Uh, we should never just expect God to, to, to be in a conversation with us apart from his word. Everything he says to us has to line up with what he has written down in the scriptures. And so I think that could be uh, incredibly encouraging to us. That if you are in a dark place and when, if you can't see Jesus, you can't hear Jesus, well, come to the scriptures. Come and find Jesus there because he is there when you can't see Jesus, look to the scriptures. Now, as the two travelers listen to Jesus talking, they begin to realize, maybe we've missed something. <laughs> Jesus has come, the Messiah has come to liberate his people as a sacrificial lamb. But they still don't recognize the one standing in front of them as Jesus. But now they do understand kind of the scripture story, and so they're ready. 
Verse 28, as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. Jesus pretends that he is going further, then they invite him in, and then he breaks the bread. And that reminds us of him breaking the bread with the 5,000. It reminds us of him breaking the bread at the Last Supper. And suddenly their eyes are open, and they see him as he hands them the bread. But then he's gone. He disappears. And what does it say? Does it say, wow, Jesus was just here. Actually, it says this, verse 32, they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They marvel at the scriptures. They marvel at what they've just learned, that Jesus was teaching them that. They marvel at Christ and his presence, but also Christ and his word. We don't get to see Jesus with our eyes in this lifetime, unless Christ returns. We get to see him when we die. And so I think, I think there's a little hint in here that Luke knows that we, his contemporary audience, he didn't just write this for the people of his time. He wrote that, that this, this, this gospel account for people like you and me. Luke knew that we weren't going to get to see Jesus with our eyes. Luke knew that we were going to walk entirely through our whole life by faith and never once glimpse the risen Savior. I think that's why he highlights this. He just pounds it home that, that we can see Christ Jesus through the Scriptures, through the Bible. When you can't see Jesus, look to the Scriptures. But don't stop with the Scriptures. Uh, they don't stop because they, they focus specifically on the resurrection so the resurrection is like the key to the whole thing, Jesus rising again from the dead. Verse 33, they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, it is true. <laughs> the Lord has risen. The Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the, two told, then, then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. Once they understand, it changes everything. <laughs> Once they can see Christ in the scriptures, in their own eyes, they believe. But blessed are those who don't see and yet also believe. Of course, of course the scriptures have been pointing to this. Of course the serpent uh, was going to strike the heel of that descendant of Eve. Of course, it was the Father's will to crush him for our iniquities. Of course, Jesus is that sacrificial lamb. That sacrificial lamb had to die for the sins of the world. Of course, the resurrection had to happen because the Son had to rise again. When you can't see Jesus, look to the Scriptures and to his resurrection. When you can't see Jesus, look to the Scriptures and to his resurrection. Now, when Terry preached two weeks ago, I haven't yet listened to Andy's sermon, but I listened to Terry's, and he suggested that I like quoting Timothy Keller. Now, it's true. 
I do like quoting pastor, uh, pastor, author, legend, Timothy Keller. I think he's great. Uh, I once heard this. I don't know if this is an urban legend or who told me this. Uh, if it was you, come tell me. But I, I once heard that there was a pastor who was interviewing at a church, and they asked him, do you like Lord of the Rings? And he said, yes, I do. And they said, well, you can never use Lord of the Rings as an illustration for a sermon. He said, well, why is that? Because the last pastor talked about Lord of the Rings every single week. So it could be worse. I could talk about Timothy Keller or that thing called CrossFit every single week, uh, but I don't. So uh, remember that. Now, Tim Keller, he talks about the movie The Sixth Sense. He said, uh, maybe some of you have seen, the, maybe just by show of hands, who has seen the movie The Sixth Sense? Okay, so many of us have seen uh, The Sixth Sense. Uh, I'm going to ruin the ending for you, but it's been 20 years since it came out, so you're out of luck. It was 1999 if you haven't seen it. Uh, as Tim Keller said, I don't want to spoil the ending for you, but it, Bruce Willis is dead. Uh, the, the Kind of the main guy is, is dead. Now, Bruce Willis is a child uh, psychologist, which is super believable, uh, and he's trying to help a young boy who sees dead people, all right? So this is kind of a horror movie, but uh, so it's a little scary, uh, but he's trying to help this young boy, and he's talking to him about what he sees and what's going on, uh, and at the end, Bruce Willis discovers that he is actually also dead <laughs> and that the little boy has been seeing him. And once you realize that ending to the movie, if you were to go back and watch the movie again, do you think you would watch the movie the same way? Do you think you'd be as equally surprised? No, you would notice all the way through the movie how, how Bruce Willis is dead. You would see how people, when they're having conversations with him, it's really a one-sided conversation, and he's talking, and they're not really answering. In fact, they're not even really looking at him. There's this moment in the movie where he, like, sits down and has dinner with his wife, but there's only one setting. There's only one place setting, and there's only one menu, and she doesn't look at him. She doesn't respond to him. And that is the, the kind of the, the idea that, that we get when we get to this part of the scriptures and we realize that Jesus is alive. See, when we then go back to the rest, we can't help but see that the, all the Old Testament, all the scriptures are pointing to this, this coming Savior who's going to die and who's going to rise again. <laughs> it's a good thing that the sixth sense and the gospel of Jesus Christ are not the same thing. Because at the end of the sixth sense, Bruce Willis is dead. At the end of our story, Jesus is alive. And this is true. This is real. This is real stuff, guys. And it really changes our lives. Our hero, our protagonist, our, our, our Savior is alive and well. And now as we understand the scriptures, as we read the scriptures, we're going to see it speaking and whispering his name over and over and over again, and I think that's okay. Because he is our ultimate sacrifice. And he died and he rose again so that you and I, so that we can live again. See, there was one resurrection. 
Christ Jesus rose again, but one day there's going to be countless, uh, uh, unnumberable, I don't know if that's a word, <laughs> countless uh, resurrections. And one of those resurrections will be your resurrection when you rise again from the dead, if you have put your faith in Christ Jesus and confessed your sins. And this should be an encouragement to us as we walk through our lives and we can't always see Jesus, we can't always sense God's presence, we can find him. We can see him if we are willing to look to the scriptures and to his resurrection. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for Christ Jesus. Thank you that Jesus is all throughout the scriptures. They whisper his name. And thank you that he rose again. Help us to remember the resurrection. If you can give life to death, you can bring us through any time that we don't sense your presence. We need you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.